All right. Hey guys, this is Crime Scene Analysis. I am Angie. And I'm Caroline. Jess would normally be here, our third leg of the tripod. Mm -hmm. God bless. She is having some hardcore nasty technical issues tonight. Send her some love. Give her some happy vibes. We miss you, boo. Yep. want to do it without you, but we're going to power through and then we're going to hook you up with some, with some tech fixes. All right. So mm -hmm. we miss you, babe. Yep. And on that note, let's get started. Mm-hmm. We are going to talk about episode 205, Bad Manners, written by Marcus Dalzine and directed by Chris Grismer. Changing it up today with directors. I kind of noticed like they're doing like two week chunks. And I wonder if that's related to COVID. It has to be, right? That they're like, they've been tested. So we have the same director two episodes in a row. Yeah, no, that would make. So I'm, I, I'm, I'm assuming that's what that is because we've never done that before. Normally, they would be working on post production for their episode, and they would be editing and doing all that. So I'm guessing that's all COVID based. Probably, yeah, because it's so systematic. There was probably some thinking behind it. Yeah, which I'm assuming then he is the director for six. We'll find that out. Um, okay. I'm sure I could do look that up, but I'm, you know, mm -hmm. no off yet. I have to wait. Yes. Yep. We have to. <laughs> Okay. control yourself <laughs> um all right so let's get started then um so right out the gate i had a complete and total flashback to the moment that i decided i wanted to do written analysis in general the whole reason i wanted to do written analysis was because i was watching episode 119 live and in the scene where the whole whitley family is in claremont with martin and they're having their family reunion as so he said they're talking about kind of a situation where they're running out of time. Eve has been killed. We got to figure out what's going on with Endicott. And all during that scene, there is a ticking clock mixed into the score Yes. as you go. And I realized this, I lost my mind on social media. I'm like, I can't be the only one that heard this clock. And then I was like, okay, I need to go back and be paying attention to these scores. Like these are relevant. What Nathaniel Bloom has done is insanely genius. Um, and darn if they didn't put the ticking clock in this opening scene again, which fits for multiple reasons. Um, you have the parents like running out of time. Where's our daughter? What's going on? And yes. then you have the fact that she's literally in the clock. Like, yes. Hiding in the grandfather clock. So the minute I heard the like tick, 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 I was like, oh, we did it again. I did not even notice that. That's, uh, I, I feel like even in the beginning, you were at least the most prominent person who pointed out the clock in season one ticking mm -hmm. so it makes perfect sense to me that you would naturally kick right back up on that again it was such a nice little like full circle like now i get to talk about it instead of key snatching for six minutes and exactly <laughs> um so i i really loved that we just immediately introduce us to this sibling rivalry of an episode that literally like baby Ains was going to hide out for the rest of the night in that clock silently in the name of I beat Malcolm. And I just had like a flashback to my childhood with my brother. And like, I would have done the exact set. Like, no, he's not beating me. I'm, exactly. Uh, yeah. And I don't care if I can hear mom and dad screaming and panicking in the background. Like I got to win guys. Like, sorry. Oh, dad has left. He's in Central Park looking for me. Nope. Standing right here in the grandfather <laughs> clock. I can hear Bob screaming a whole bunch of profanities, drinking as she's searching, flipping over the couch cushions. And I'm like, oh, sucks to suck. Pillar <laughs> of wine. Yeah. 
but that level of competitiveness, I, I totally respect and understand. And it, it's, it sets the tone for the whole rest of the episode because this is what the whole episode focuses on is her making everything a competition. Exactly. So just adding adding that music cue in there was genius. Um, God bless, I, I should have looked up her name. I'm so sorry, adorable little girl. But the girl that played Baby Ains was just the cutest thing ever. Love her. Hopefully we get to see more of her since she was supposed to kind of have Ains episode there and got a little bit robbed of it. Yes. And she was also very controlled too, which I really loved. I am so fascinated by any sort of like behind the scenes talking with child actors where they're so young and they have such a huge responsibility, whether it's like, even just to say very blase, like I was hiding from Malcolm, like whatever, that's not what she said, but that kind of, that level of maturity and self-control that is needed in, I don't even know how old that child was or how old Ainsley was supposed to be, but like young, a young kid is just, you know, hats off to them for doing their job. At the 109 mark, the basketball player in me was very appreciative of the fact that Malcolm is a far better shot than his father. (laughs) (laughs) And he made the trash. I was like, okay, one of the Whitley guys has form for basketball. I appreciate this. It's such a show off too about it. and Gil's like no <laughs> yeah like he was strutting like he was full-on peacocking after he made that bucket like look mm-hmm. at me we get to catch a serial killer today oh there goes my coffee I'm gonna eat half a pound of licorice in 10 minutes it's <laughs> fine I walked right by the food truck and I saw they have my breakfast for me this is a great day Whizzlers and big letters best day of my life <laughs> Um, at 218, they very geniusly hide Miss Aurora um, by saying she's in vice, which, you know, we get it, COVID happens, and this was her turn now to have to take a, a break for a minute. But I love the vice thing because this yes. calls back to her having gone undercover. This calls back to so many things from season one that I'm still dying to get backstory about. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was just such a little nugget of like, oh, she's undercover again. What is she doing? I wonder if Gil's concerned that she might be around drugs. Like there's so much in that little sentence that was yes. amazing. Honestly. Yeah. They, for everything that happened this season with COVID, I mean, with what happened with Frank and how they were able to like just throw in you know the baby in that and now Danny with Vice this was perfect excuse like I they just seamlessly rolled with it which is fantastic and it's it really is kind of like this just juggling act in the writer's room of well now what are we going to do because we had all these scenes written for Frank and those and I'm sure there were Danny moments written in this one before all that happened so hats off to them and the overtime they're probably having to put in to get all that but just the fact that it's not delaying production other Mm -hmm. than snow which is completely out of their control yes um i mean they're just talk about professionalism in a time you know in an unprecedented time as much as i'm so sick of that phrase yep oh yeah they have it they're just like sure this is show business let's roll with the punches i'm very impressed by that Meanwhile, next year, when they're not having to worry about this, it's going to be like, man, like, we're, we're way ahead of schedule. We didn't have to rewrite half a script today. What are we doing? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which I'm fine with. Hey, if you want to throw out more episodes. 
And the reason I say next season is because we're getting a third season. Yes, exactly. I'm putting we need it out to talk. there. Manifest. Manifest. Yes. As Joy would say, Happening. we need to manifest this. <laughs> okay. At 350, um, <laughs> I, I, the licorice. Like, it, I love that they took one quote from Jessica in season one. And they take it, and this whole episode, I hope to God that Tom Payne enjoys Twizzlers. Yes. Because this guy ate like 12 packs of Twizzlers over the course of this filming. And if he does not like licorice, that must have been miserable. Yes. Or maybe they at least consulted him. What kind of snack treat can we have Jessica mention so that later when you have to nosh it for five days? Exactly. Yes. And for some reason, I don't know why. There's something about licorice that makes it feel so much more childish. Yeah, no, absolutely. Like because you like Snickers, it wouldn't feel as childish. I don't know why, but there's something about licorice that is like little kid for me. Yeah. I don't know why. I mean, yeah, it's like a huge rope and you can like rip it apart into three pieces or you can like, yeah, it's just, it's very on brand for yeah. the same man child who sits cross-legged in a chair in therapy <laughs> that's much the best man child like that's the yes. best description it, it really is yeah and I love how Ainsley is just so okay with it because she realized this is this is just so normal with him this is the way yeah, that he oh good it's Tuesday Twizzlers all right cool exactly Let's yeah at five, we got what is probably my favorite quote from the episode, the no stabbies line from Jessica Whitley. <laughs> and just the hands, the no stabbies. And Mr. David looks at her like. Meanwhile, she has a ginormous handbag over yes. her arm. Like, Mr. David, shouldn't you have at least been like, I'm going to need you to open your handbag and prove to me that we're not going to do stabbies. Like, is, mm -hmm. can I at least look and make sure we don't have a... An, arm a weapon of some kind in there but just the no stabbies yeah no no stabbies <laughs> and you can take my word for it <laughs> okay because anyone in this family at this point is trustworthy when it comes to no stabbies so another thing that i had noticed was around 609 jessica makes the iconic comment you are a cancer martin which is a callback to actually the pilot when um Jessica and Martin and Ainsley were all having dinner and Jessica finds out that Malcolm is working for the NYPD again and she looks dead in Malcolm's face and says in her classic Jessica voice he is a cancer he will destroy you and so getting to hear it again was chef's kiss perfect what is cancer cancer is your body cells that start out totally benign and then they literally just become malignant and they destroy you. And that is exactly how Martin was. He was originally this, just this benign average run the mill dude turned out to be a friggin' serial killer. Like, yeah, great. He killed 23 people. Yes, exactly. At least 23 yes. people. At least. Let's they not forget. Allegedly involved. Uh-huh, yeah. It's like, don't come for us. Like, she's yes. describing him metaphorically. Like, this is how horrible you are. Cancer doesn't work that way. Yes, yes. thank you. Yeah. <laughs> That was not the point of the comment. This is how smart I am. This is how I always have the upper hand over you and how I constantly knock you down a peg because, oh, you are not as smart as me or you're not as calculated as me. He is always trying to do that with her. And God bless her. She sees that and tries to still one-up him in spite of it. I 
love her for it. <laughs> yeah, for all the kind of crap, especially early in season one when we didn't know if she was on the side of good or not. But mm-hmm. even afterwards, you know, there's still a little bit of hatred. Like, oh, she's super entitled and whiny and blah, blah, blah. Like, yeah, but like, let's look at her upbringing, first of all, then look at the things that happened to her afterwards. She's allowed to be a little whiny sometimes. And you know yeah. what? I'd probably be a psycho helicopter parent too if I found out that my children's father was a serial killer. Yeah. Like, you gotta give her a little bit of slack. I'd probably be a little bit of an alcoholic if I had gone through all that stuff. Yeah, like, exactly. Let's not be quite so judgmental. And this tough broad, you know, like she is resilient. She is not here to get beat around anymore. Mm-hmm. Like she, she comes to play. So this ultimately leads to Jessica dropping the bombshell on Martin that she's going to take Ainsley away to which Martin mentions, you know, this is not some coke habit that you can fix with a handful of crystals and a trip to Esalen, which I did not catch that reference. I'm way too <laughs> young for this. So I had to go, <laughs> I had to go look up <laughs> what Esalen was. First, I had to watch the episode with the subtitles on so I could make sure I spelled it right and didn't type in some very cringy thing. Um, <laughs> and I found out it is an actual like retreat center that exists in Big Sur. And of course, initially when I saw it I thought oh this is definitely a cult which would be very on brand for the show to mention a cult I don't think it is it seems a little bit more scientific than that it started in the 60s but they actually had a lot of psychologists and other prominent people speak there so I guess like all right maybe it's not as much of a cult but which leads us into the autopsy. And my one line before I hand it over to Caro is, how is Adresa still alive? She is barely five feet tall, not even 90 pounds. She should be dead. <laughs> that, that was my line for that section. How is she alive? Oh my God. I just think of like this, this poor girl drinking that much caffeine. I don't know how. I don't. I don't know how. Yeah. She weighs as much as like most elementary school students. How exactly. Yes. Soaking wet. Yeah, literally. But I mean, good for her. She's doing it. I hope to God, you know, I hope that Bright gets enough sleep. I hope Adresa got enough sleep after this episode. This poor thing. I was like, how long does it take your body to just metabolize that and be able to sleep? I, I don't even I mean I'll, I I'll be honest like full disclosure I cannot have caffeine I have like yeah what is essentially an allergic reaction to it it's not really but that's the way that like I hive up and stuff when I drink mm. caffeine so I have never had that like oh my gosh my pulse is going crazy moment so I can't imagine like you must just be on for like yeah. days if you do that much yeah, exactly. Yeah. I barely drink caffeine either, let alone something like a, a non-alcoholic for loco. Oh my God. Like, <laughs> like are you just testing? Like she's a doctor. Let's see how many beats per minute I can get. It, can I beat a hummingbird? Let's see what happens. But also she's a doctor. So you know that she went through years and years of medical school where she perfected this recipe because she's also in Dresa. So like a bartender with caffeine. 
Good God. <laughs> Meanwhile, somewhere in New York City now, there is officially a cocktail made of, what was it? A macchiato? Oh, I forget what it was. A mocha and four loco mix or something yeah, like that? Yeah, it was like a like a mocha or a macchiato yeah. with a non-alcoholic four loco. Yeah, and then she just says she's just drinking straight. And I'm like, all right, I'm concerned for your well-being. But all right, let's let's keep going, somewhere I guess. Somewhere in NYC, there's like a mom and pop coffee shop serving the Adresa. The Drees. And then you have yeah, the Drees. And then you have to sign a waiver. Like we are not responsible for any <laughs> medical issues you have. Yes, literally. Oh, good God. So yeah. let's talk a little bit about some of this autopsy stuff. So Adresa has this hypothesis about what happened to these women. Before I get into it, I want to put in a huge trigger warning for the topics that I'm about to discuss, which include date rape drugs and assisted suicide and all of that just so we're clear if you've already seen the episode you can kind of tell where I'm going but Adresa thinks that these women were paralyzed with rehypnol which is also known as the root or the date rape drug drug Ugh. and then were asphyxiated using a machine called a deep breather I was very fascinated the second that I heard that. I had, I have no idea what that was. Yeah, um, I have never heard of it prior I, to. Yeah, nope. I honestly thought that it might have been just some like random, like one of those contraptions that they make for the sake of television, but it exists. Oh. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I was like, oh, wow. They actually, no, they do their homework on this show. You don't need to suspend your disbelief that much. Um, so I actually found out it is a real thing that does exist. Um, and of course I felt the need to immediately go research it because the respiratory system is basically the reason why I have a job because of how much it ties into everything I do. Um, but I don't know everything. So I'm going to give a shout out to our lovely co-producer and respiratory therapist, Carrie, who helped. <laughs> Yay, Carrie. <laughs> <laughs> who helped this very poor, unfortunate soul <laughs> uh, figure out what exactly a deep breather is. Um, so it is a real device. It was actually modeled after um, the scuba diving gear, believe it or not, like the whole mask and the- I would guess gas mask from like World War II. Yeah, no, exactly. And we we see it later on in the episode and it does look like a, like a hazard gas mask. Um, and it very similar. Um, it basically has the you know airtight seal and then there is a bag that is attached to and to sum it up in a way that I can understand without sounding like a complete fool <laughs> what it does <laughs> is you put the mask on and you breathe into it and it in ways that I do not fully understand, and I'm not going to pretend to understand, removes the oxygen from the air because the air around us is not entirely made up of oxygen, which is something I'm still trying to understand. Um, so it just removes all the oxygen out of it. So you're breathing in air that is not sustainable to you and you don't actually feel yourself suffocating and you just, Get knocked unconscious and pass away. If you weren't already knocked unconscious from the drugs right. that these women were. Um, and Carrie and I read this very interesting article um, 
in which actually this same exact drug, rohypnol, was used in combination with the debreather as an agent for assisted suicide. So I was that was like, is it a violent asphyxiation or is it, which it seems like it's not then, like you're not going to shake and you're not going to like, very, yeah, yeah, like it's kind of just a go to sleep. So, yeah, and that's what this study had sort of talked about is they had tried it, they had only, they were only able to look at six specific examples of this. And in a couple of those instances, people actually did try and fight the mask. Um, and so there was a lot that was going on there. But unfortunately, usually the way that people do it is they, you put the mask on, you hope that there's an airtight seal, and then you're supposed to have a helper in the room with you who will put a plastic bag over your head. And then it's assumed that you passed away that way. Yeah, and that's why I put a trigger warning. <laughs> Good times. <laughs> yeah, that was, oh yeah. Yeah, so, but basically it is a way to pass away in a way that cannot be, you know, it doesn't leave a trace behind. Yeah. So how did Adresa even come up with this hunch? The only technical way she could have is in some cases, the mask left pressure marks along yeah. people's faces which makes sense. Um, we can't outwardly see it on any of these bodies, but again, like I, I wear a mask all day at work and I like, I have pressure marks all along my face right now. You can't see it on the camera, but I know cause I like can look okay. at myself. Um, so that was my guess is that she probably like in her caffeine induced hyper-focusing way. Oh no, deep breather. Oh <laughs> scan every inch of these women's faces but also this woman like is an emmy but she goes on true crime boards and stuff like yeah. that and as someone who loves reddit and loves all of the different perspectives you can get from reddit it would not surprise me if she's picked up on that from all of her her web sleuthing that she does this is so, not her first rodeo <laughs> no this is not she is she is a lot she is a lot more up here than we give her credit for i'm pointing to my brain for whoever's listening i love that she makes this baseball reference to malcolm and then immediately begs for jt <laughs> like, where's where's jt is he here he would have gotten this joke and would have appreciated it so much more she's just this like endless she must be the best person to play trivia with like i i want her on my team True. um <laughs> I also shout out to Tom Payne's just absolute, genuinely adorable smile. Mm -hmm. A couple times he did it in the, um, like the exorcist episode with the cut. No crap. That's not the same episode. Those are different episodes. Yes. That was the first episode. Um, the guillotine episode you can call yes. it. Yeah, yeah. I don't know why I said exorcist with the thing. Okay. <laughs> Moving on. Sorry, Britt. We're working on it. Okay. Yep. <laughs> So he did this adorable smile with the impressive clean cuts with the guillotine. He's doing this same just like childlike wonder um, smile. And then they give us, which I absolutely love, they give us kind of a callback camera angle to the episode Fear Response in season one. In Fear Response, you find out that like brains have been removed from these craniums. And so there's this very delicious uh, <laughs> moment where they like pull the, the scalp back and you see that it's empty. And then the camera is supposedly inside that 
skull looking out at just the most happy and fascinated Idrissa and Malcolm you could ever see. In this scene, since it, the camera is in an eye socket and we kind of watch the eye, the fake eye exit and you see Idrissa, sadly, you know, the eye socket's not as big. So we don't mm-hmm. get the full Idrissa Malcolm happy face, but you get Idrissa. Um, and I just went, yeah, there we are. We did it again. They're like, mm-hmm. look how cool this is. Not only that, but I think the eye made a noise when it came out of the socket, oh, yeah, too, like the, which was yeah. the extra added measure of it. So even if we can't see Malcolm, I know he was kind of just like, oh. <laughs> Whereas Gil, like poor Gil, he looks like he's going to vomit on the autopsy table. He's like, are you guys done? <laughs> Can, can we go ahead and not be that descriptive? Is that okay? Exactly. At 9.18, we have the first kind of update on what's going on with JT's situation and whether or not he's filing a report. Um, and we have this kind of adorable little, why do you eat so much sugar? And, you know, Malcolm's bouncing behind him as he discusses it because he's so hyper. But then again, like this theme of kind of child Malcolm is there because he just asks off the cuff, how's that stuff going? And then he finds out from JT, like, oh, we're both going to be suspended for 20 days if I file it. And his just absolute, but you didn't do anything wrong. That like childlike Mm -hmm. black and white um, is so adorable, but it's also such a lens to look at the situation through. Yes. Because that's exactly how that should go. Like, well, duh, he didn't do anything. But reality. Yes is that this is what happened. It's more important for companies to cover their butts than for justice to be served. Yes. And I'll go a little bit more into that when we actually get to the awesome Frank Hart's scene. Mm-hmm. But it's it, it's so cute to see like the five-year-old's perspective out of Malcolm, but you didn't do it, anything mm-hmm. wrong. Like, yeah, we know, sweetie. Yeah. This is why it's an unjust thing that's happening all the time. Exactly, yeah. Mm-hmm, yeah. At 1027, he is on the phone. Malcolm is on the phone with Martin and he makes a hilarious Starkey and Tubbs reference. I have no idea what this is. Like, what is this, Starkey and Tubbs? And so Malcolm says, you're mixing up your buddy cop dramas. Like, that's not... And so what this actually is, is it's two separate shows. It's Starsky and Hutch from the 70s. And he says Starkey as I got it wrong. Oh, wow. Which was a buddy cop show in the 70s. And then Tubbs is actually one of the officers from the 80s Miami Vice. Oh. So he like blends his, you know, buddy cop TV shows in that reference. And it was one of the few things in my life I didn't didn't have to research it. I immediately was like, I know what he's doing because, you know, I'm old enough to know that. And it made me sad. But... I love, again, we have like a Vice reference in there because, you know, with Danny being at Vice and all that. And it was just, it was a funny little joke. And the, you know, the fact that he misnamed it too was kind of hilarious. Mm-hmm. That's also the second uh, reference to Miami Vice in the show because JT did it at, um, in Wait and Hope with Malcolm. Oh, Miami <laughs> Vice. Which is so perfect because if you don't know, Miami Vice was one of the big shows in the 80s that spurred that rolled up blazer sleeve, neon blazers and then roll the sleeves up with like your regular collared shirts underneath it. Like the casual blazer. You'll have to look this up later. It's a, okay. So it's like, we have a collared shirt, not a button up. Yeah. And then we have a neon eighties colored blazer, like white, bright blue, purple, something. Then we push the sleeves of the blazer up over our arms. And friends makes a hilarious reference about this in a flashback episode with Ross and Chandler. 
where oh, they like perfect. deliberately push up their their <laughs> sleeves all dramatically but that was a thing god help us it was a thing and it just makes me laugh so hard because that white suit would have been a prime miami vice blazer for an episode like it would have worked Oh, see, I just thought that because he was wearing white and that's like a color you can get away with in Florida. I didn't realize that there was more to it than yeah, that. But that's there's like a whole second joke there that those of yes. us that are old enough went. <laughs> yes. Um, at 1148, we have, um, we're still on the phone call and this quote I love. And for once, for a millisecond, I'm going to praise Martin for something. And I know this sounds weird. I know. Look, I see your reaction. Yep. yep. Like, okay, you're see why. Martin's talking about Ainsley and he says, you know, the drive, her instincts, she's made of tougher stuff. And then Malcolm says, oh, why? Because that's your daughter. And he says, no, because she's her mother's. That was. Yep. And that, you know what? You're darn right. And you better recognize it, Martin. Mm-hmm. And that one little moment, I just said, I'm very reluctant, but I feel like I should appreciate Martin in this moment. No, I honestly, I feel the same way. And I thought that too, when I heard that, I was like, good. For once, he's not taking all the credit here. And he's also not mentioning that she's her mother's daughter in necessarily a bad light either, which is- very complimentary. Yes, exactly. So, which is also not typical for Martin at all to give anybody a compliment, so- Or to say that anyone would potentially be like strong enough to maybe- um, be an ad- adversary to him or to yes. stand up to him. So he kind of is like Jessica has visited him already mm-hmm. and he's kind of admitting like, you know, she's a tough gal. She's, yeah. she's been through some stuff. So yes, Martin, you're right. I still think you're a horrible person. Love you, yes. Michael Sheen, but I appreciate that moment. <laughs> well, I'll give it to him. I'll give yeah. it to him. You know, every now and then he deserves something. So I'll give him credit. Some, yeah. <laughs> um, then we, we go with JT and Martin to my living hell, which is a doll my, shop. My. No, 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 no. All the nopes for infinity and eternity. No. Yes. yes. Mm-hmm. No, I'm glad that we both shared this fear because I honestly thought that I was being childish freaking out over this compared to the actual exorcist episode where I was like, oh my God, yay. Like well, this scared me too, but- <laughs> well this was just like i i can't with dolls i don't do the uncanny valley i don't do any of the you know annabelle crap no no thank you See, mine goes all the way back to chucky he screwed everybody over for me like that was it the minute chucky happened tap out i'm done that's that's fair never and i've again. never seen chucky because i know that that would freak me out so yeah. fair um, and I have to do a shout out to Nathaniel Bloom here. Um, and we actually kind of talked about this moment on the interview I got to do with him. Mm-hmm. He deliberately put like child's toy sounds into a lot of this show on purpose. So like oh when you God. see all these dolls, you hear the music sounds like what it would sound like if it was a wind up doll with like a yes. little chime sound. Yes. Um, and that goes along with, he said, the Windsor Academy and the etiquette and the proper girls with the perfect dolls and all this kind of stuff. So these chimes and kind of, you know, that really high like toy piano sound that like a little kid might have. Yes. Yeah. All of those kind of themes and motifs are woven throughout the score for this episode deliberately. Damn. And so we're looking at these dolls and these creepy eyeballs and bits and pieces and all that. And then there's this creepy chime, tinkly 
kids music happening and just and then you see the guy which god bless this actor you did an amazing job you look creepy af thank you wardrobe he he just delivers this like he is unsettling as hell yeah no he is he's a creepy looking dude yes and when it all comes together his performance the wardrobe the sound and the the set design i was just i was ready to be like tap out let's leave this place i was (laughs) on board with jt can we please roll out of here Yes. (laughs) When in doubt, watch JT's reaction. And that will determine whether or not they are actually in danger or not. JT JT is the everyman. Yes. (laughs) There's a there's a term in English literature which is everyman, which is like your average Joe character. And especially in any kind of like fantasy where you've got witches and wizards, this and that, like, and then there's the one normal person. Yeah. He's Matt. From, from vampire from, from the vampire I was about to <laughs> the one normal <laughs> guy in town you know yes and I knew you would get that reference I know we I, I did I appreciate the heck out because that's um, exactly who I think of but I don't want to say it but yeah I got you but that's what he is like he's the one person that's quote-unquote normal so when you watch him this is how nor I should be feeling okay yes good. exactly <laughs> Um, I also want to just give one shout out again to Carrie, who had mentioned to us this morning that she rewatched this and realized that some of the dolls um, in the cabinet that's displayed on the side when they're walking in are from, because Carrie knows about dolls and I don't, so I'm going to just, Carrie says that they are from the Georgetown collection, for those of you who know about dolls, um, and from another company called Ashton Drake. So the more you know. Um, she says that they are a good choice for props because they look expensive, but they're actually, she says they're only about 80 to hundred dollars each, which I think is way too expensive for a doll. But I guess if, if you're really into it, yeah, probably in the grand scheme, that's like middle ground or something yes, like that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So hmm, good for them for being resourceful and finding yes because they do actually look expensive to the point that I would never want to see them touch them be in 500 feet of them without having a cross and bubble wrap exactly burning them (laughs) Um, so since we're shouting out Carrie she also um a little bit down the road gives us a shout out I do not have not watched the Umbrella Academy but she says the reference of the name Dolores with the mannequin that he tries to save um, is a reference from you know someone that has a thing with a, a mannequin that is dismembered or something like that. Um, so apparently that's an Umbrella Academy shout out. So good for them, nicely done. I'm sure we yeah. have some writer buddies that are friends with other people and mm-hmm. they gave them a little shout out there, which was cool. At 1429, we have another huge example of this sibling rivalry. Ainsley beats Malcolm um to the Windsor school where her etiquette school used to be there's this really cool moment where they have music and lighting that does the angel glow on Ainsley yeah um we kind of pan over all these pictures of these debutante girls as they're going through their school and then it pans up to Ainsley and there's like this choral you know angelic sounding thing happening and then she's got the glow and I was like okay I see Mm -hmm. what we're doing here Mm -hmm. Um, the whole sibling rivalry thing though like when it comes to this we know from back in season one that she's very competitive when it comes to her job we know that um, she shows signs of of some sociopathic tendencies 
Um, and Malcolm pretty much calls her out. He says, there are two dead women. How does that make you feel? And he's yeah. deliberately profiling her response. Yeah. He asks feel like he's asking about empathy and emotion. Mm -hmm. um, and I mean, he's testing, is she a sociopath? Meanwhile, Jen from, you know, like six boroughs over is going, yes, she's a sociopath. Do you not remember me laying there having been stabbed? And she picked up the camera and went, I'm going to get the best, you know, shot of the sweep season right now. Mm -hmm. um, so I definitely feel like she's like on some kind of sociopathic spectrum. I don't know that I would call her completely unempathetic. Yeah. Because I think when it comes to her family, she would show that. Yes. Um, I think the reason Endicott is a dead man is because of his effects on her family in that rage. And even yes. though rage isn't the greatest response in the world, it is an emotional response to something. Mm -hmm. Yes, exactly. Uh, so some of it's there. I don't think we can call her a blanket sociopath, but I definitely feel like there's part of that with her. Um, and that she could very easily kind of flip the switch on and off for lack of a better term. Yeah, no, this is something that I really want to get into. I've been like low key building up notes and stuff for one repressed memories and that whole thing. And also whether or not she might be a sociopath. Um, and I actually have been rereading an old book of mine called Confessions of a Sociopath. I forget who the author is. It was a pseudonym. They, they did not want their... <laughs> name to be revealed, which is fair. fair um, <laughs> but there does seem to be a spectrum with in, you know, some serial killers are sociopaths and then some white collar CEOs are sociopaths. And there's a whole spectrum in between. And there's also a spectrum of people who have different types of empathy. Like they're highly emotional people. And then there are people who are less so, but who aren't sociopathic, um, but who whose responses are, you know, not what we would consider to be fully, you know, acceptable. Right. Um, so there is definitely a whole range here. But what I really want to figure out is what happened before Malcolm got to the house between Ainsley and Endicott because she was spooked and that tear, that single tear that runs down her eye, that just made me think of another show, The Sinner, where again, has repressed memories and a you know unseeming woman who turns absolutely homicidal for no reason, it seems. Um, but I really wanna figure out what happened between her and Endicott because I feel like and this might be the fact that I tend to not think that she's really a sociopath, but I feel like something set her off. And like Martin had said to Jessica earlier in the episode where Jessica's like, you know, she's a murderer. And Martin points out, no, she did that out of survival. Right. There's a lot of speculation about whether or not there was like some assault-ish, like not obviously the full length of an, an assault, but definitely some inappropriate and horrific yes. maybe comments actual you know physical contact who knows um yeah. but there's a lot of speculation there that he went to a level that just made her yeah exactly or even like even if he didn't do that him i mean his threats towards malcolm were bad enough mom he could have their mom yeah Exactly. Like he could have just completely set her off with all of these things that he was saying he was going to do to her and her family. 
And and that could be a trigger as well. That would scare the crap out of me if I had this guy saying, I'm going to do this and that, and no one's ever going to find out and I'm going to get away with it completely. That would set me off. So we need, we need clarity on this. We need flashbacks big time. I have high hopes for the next episode. Again, I'm going to reel myself in. Let's (laughs) get back to this one. To go off of that, Nathaniel Bloom did say when I asked, um, are we going to get an Ainsley Martin theme that there's a nugget in the next episode? Oh, boy. He's like, I can't tell you what and where, but you do get a little nugget of something in episode 206. So we'll see what that entails. Thank you. Yeah. At 15 minutes, we meet Kate Burton, who plays Sarah Windsor, the etiquette um, school, I guess, teacher. Um I know her and love her from Scandal. And by love, I mean, I hated her character, but she did a wonderful job playing that character. Um, Fun trivia, she is the daughter of Hollywood legend Richard Burton, as in Richard Burton and Liz Taylor fame. Wow. Um, Liz Taylor was her stepmother. Her mother was one of the other wives in between the multiple times Liz and Dick got back together. Mm -hmm. Um, So she is like Hollywood royalty. Show, I'm super sad that her and Bellamy did not get to have like scenes together. Because yeah. in Scandal, they they are not, she's like an evil VP and Bellamy was the first lady. So they were butting heads quite frequently. And I would have liked to, you know, seen them get a little moment, but it is what mm. it is. Yeah. Mm. What are you going to do? At 1845, we meet the Windsor School's kind of assistant. Her name is Rachel. And we are introduced to her because Malcolm got told, stay here. And then as soon as the woman's back was turned, he did not stay there. (laughs) And I get it. You're a profiler. You think this person could potentially be involved in some stuff. So he's checking. And then he turns to see, again, my hell on earth, a (laughs) random creepy doll sitting on the floor stalking you. Awesome. Mm -hmm. Yep. And then we meet Rachel, the assistant. And she says this comment that has resonated so much with our group, which we are an all-female group of friends, um, which is the, the dolls represent our model perfect behavior, which is to be silent and perfect. And thank you, that same face. Like, I just went, well, let me swallow the bile (laughs) down my throat, you know. But it fits for kind of, you know, no disrespect to debutantes out there, kind of that culture. Yeah. Like, you have to dress perfectly and do not speak with any, you know, contractions and none of that stuff. It's perfect and silent and very Stepford wife. Like, just, no thanks. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, just very not me. <laughs> my husband's in the background going, <laughs> <laughs> that is so not my wife. Yes. Uh, <laughs> Thank God. Yeah. Sorry. That's just mm-hmm. not in the cards for me. Mm-mm. At 1904, Ainsley is constantly now using Martin's office as her office. This is, if people have not, well, now, of course, Jessica knows, but this is just, if Jessica hadn't known before, something would have had to been up by now, because this is seriously too on the nose. The sneeze came and went again. I'm sorry. Okay. No, it's, (laughs) I was wondering, I was like, am I not hearing something? Is there, like, is Henry okay? I, t- I turned the mute on because I was afraid it was going to go blah and sneeze. And then it, again, it's the third time I've tried to have this sneeze and it's not happening. Anyway, sorry about that. Um, yeah, I mean, first she's on maybe his side of the bed. Now she's fully taken up residence in his office to do her work. 
And I just can't imagine having gone through that stuff that in a, in a house that probably has how many rooms available for God's mm-hmm. sakes. Yeah. That's where you're going. Like she's very much, that was kind of a big turning point for me with Ainsley. The yeah. end of the last episode, when she's reading the journals and all that, I went, okay, we're about to turn a corner with her. And then now she's just, and if you'll notice on the desk, it's not Martin's stuff on the desk. Yeah. She's moved in. Like she's got a cute little lamp and a desk pen thing and all that. That's very kind of what you would expect maybe her to have. It's very Mm -hmm. kind of girly as opposed to what Martin's stuff would have been on there. And so she's set up shop down here, just like Papa used to do. And it's a little disheartening and terrifying. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. She's a little too curious in my opinion. Like, yes, like girl, no. Rain it in. Right? Yeah, no. <laughs> At the 2335 mark, we have Malcolm and Martin talking in Claremont in his cell. And Martin says, if my little girl knew. Talking about, I wonder how she would respond if she knew. Would she be proud? Would she whatever? And I'll be honest, I kind of read this a little bit as some foreshadowing to potentially what might happen in future episodes I feel like that was him passively aggressively saying like I could tell her yeah um and we know based on promo which we'll get into later that there's supposedly some twists in in the next episode I I could see the next episode being an either Ainsley remembers on her own or it gets revealed to her by someone yeah that this has occurred um but I saw that like if she knew and meanwhile, Malcolm's looking at him like, listen, you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, like, the beauty of being, you know, criminals in cahoots together is all it takes is one pissed off person to bring down the whole system. You know, yes, you are yeah. very much reliant on other silence mm-hmm. there. And you have to trust that. And it was a little bit of like, a, maybe it's Tyler. I don't know. We'll see what happens. Yeah, because of course he's Martin too. And so he's going to, here's one more thing. You know, Malcolm has been kind of like one-upping Martin lately. And now Martin can be like, well, here's something I can do. So you better shut up and come visit me more. Yeah, it's a threat on multiple levels. On like, we have to keep our status quo so she can keep her status quo. Yes, naturally. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, And following that, we have the scene where we find out Ainsley has recorded a video of a dead body from the scene. Oh my God. (laughs) And this, just the like professionalism of being a journalist, isn't it? Like in my head, here are the things I hear. That family found out that their daughter was murdered from a video and they Mm -hmm. saw their daughter's body. Yep. So that alone is like, wow and I know I'm going really deep into a fictional realm just roll with it we're going together okay uh like that alone I was like that's incredibly inappropriate we know now that she went through the girl's phone from later um, Mm -hmm. and then you have just the complete lack of empathy when Gil and Malcolm are kind of reaming her in the conference room yeah I noticed I, I put little bullet points like she is every member of her family in this scene so the first part, I was like, she's Jess when she hands over the, here's my lawyer card. Yep. That's very much from her mother. Yes. She is Malcolm in terms of, I'm going to run into a situation with absolutely no regard for my personal safety in the name of, in her case, getting the story, yes. mm-hmm. Malcolm solving the case. Mm-hmm. And then she is absolutely Martin when Malcolm asks her, what if the killer had been there? And she says, oh, well then a video would have been more exciting. Yeah. 
Like she hits the whole Whitley spectrum in this scene. Oh my God. This just was, I mean, this has actually happened before. If you remember, I don't even remember what year it was, 2017 with, was it Logan Paul or Jake Paul? That stupid YouTuber who filmed that body in the suicide forest. When oh, that, I, got, I remember what you're talking about. Now. Yeah, when that happened, that it was just like, are you serious? And so yeah. then seeing that again, it was like, Ainsley, don't go there. <laughs> and then by the end of that scene, again, we have zero empathy for anything. First of all, the fact that she broke the law, the yep. fact that she could have been hurt, the fact that now she's revealed this to this family and she's not considering their feelings. Then her phrase is, to Gil and Malcolm that they're sore losers because she yeah. got there first. So now we're back to the competitive. Like yes. at this point, if I'm doing like a Ainsley sociopath <laughs> rating, like she's a 10 right now. Yeah, she's got a full on, like not my problem. She's checking her phone. I have other stuff to do, blah, blah, blah. And she just does not care. Yeah. This was very scary for me as someone who has like been trying to give her the benefit of the doubt for so long this was very telling that she might be completely tipping over to the other side right and as amazing as the previous episode was for like the reveal of that and the music and all this this episode kind of gave me those vibes in the sense of this is a turning point for the show like Mm -hmm. when I I think of like, okay, Malcolm getting kidnapped by Watkins, huge turning point in season one, Malcolm stabbing his father, another huge turning point. Like, this is one of those moments for me. Like this show is turning um, in a good direction, but it's a major moment of like, crap is not going to be the same. Yes. Yeah. No, we are not going back again to who Ainsley was before. We cannot. That is gone for sure. Mm Mm-hmm. At 2715, I just, God bless Keiko and her comedic delivery. <laughs> um, I, I do, here's the thing. I mean, it's kind of obvious based on social media and this and that. Like I have a particular ship I float with. I tend to, you know, to fly team Brightwell. Um, that is by no me. I am not one of the people that's like hardcore hating in the opposite direction. Um, like I'm, I love Adrisa's character. I think she's criminally underused yes. in the show. Um, I love Keiko to pieces because she delivers these things with just such a finesse and glory. Mm-hmm. So no hatred, you know, coming from this particular department. No. And I did like that. Prop. I don't know. I'm not one of the writers. I would hope that maybe this would have been written that way anyway, mm-hmm. as her coming in and helping to solve it. Or yes. did that change? Was that supposed to be maybe a Danny or a someone else scene? And then yes. it changed. I hope it was originally written that way to mm-hmm. give her an opportunity. Cause I yeah. love that she comes in, first of all, hyper off of her butt, but then she literally cracks the case for bright, like full yeah. on. we've been working on this for like three days, but her four loco brain went, Oh, here you go. <laughs> and, and just fixed the whole thing. Um, which I loved. I thought it was amazing. There's a moment where she's trying to flip a pencil and she hits herself in the head and then drops it. I don't know if this was Keiko trying to do it and then couldn't catch it or if it would just work, but it worked for her being all psyched up and hyper. I laughed so hard. I did not notice it in my first watch, but when I rewatched, it was like, gonk. And then she I still around. haven't noticed it. Oh my Going God. With I, it, you know? Cause she's an improv genius. So she rolls. Yeah, with she it. is. Yes. Um, I hope that was like Keiko's Alka Seltzer with Tom. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> it was so, and I'm just like, I'm sure Tom's over there like, all right. And just keeps going. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to do it. Yep. 
but I, yeah, I think she's criminally underused, even though that's not my particular romantic ship. I, I hope we see tons and tons more of her. I love, I love yes. it. Yes. Uh, and them together too is still like, I, even if I don't ship them, I love scenes with them together. I'm fine with more of them. such a great, like mutual nerd dynamic. Yes. Yes. That he cannot get that excited about things with Danny or Gail no. or anyone else. Give him the moments where he can be like, and just yeah. freak out like a Christmas morning child, you know? Exactly. Yeah. I love it. So yeah. Even if I don't ship them romantically, I want to see more of it. I ship more scenes with yes. Adrisa. And I, yes. Me yes. too. There we go. That's our stance. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, real quick, just because I'm an English nerd, uh, 2825, Tom does another one of his libraries instead of libraries. <laughs> I track this so much. <laughs> Sometimes struggles with the ry words yeah it's like library they're february like he says it in the british way as opposed to kind of a february or library that most mm. americans tend to say that with so i was like ah, there's another one we got it <laughs> um and then at 3123 we have just just knock it out of the park scene with with frank hearts and and they're doing their are they going to have an official complaint um, and the whole fandom has said it a hundred times, but I'm going to repeat it. The you're scared. That's why you're such a miserable cop. Cause that hatred you feel it's poison. Yeah. I'm not going to let it poison my life too. Yep. It, it was such a bittersweet thing for me. A beautifully mm-hmm. written, gorgeous, yes. and even more beautifully performed on Frank's part. But in my, I'm still infuriated in my head yeah oh yeah it's a logical progression for how things are going and how things would go in the real world mm-hmm. it makes me so angry and i am not even a person of color so i cannot imagine what those people would feel in this moment um but it makes me so angry that he has to settle for the high road and yeah. i know that sounds like a weird way to say it but like no he should not have to be the bigger person in this situation. yes he had a yeah. grave injustice done to him he should get every pound of justice he deserves and that yeah. dude is going to go home and walk away with not even a slap on the wrist mm-hmm. and it's just yeah. infuriating but real and so yes. i appreciate the reality of it i mean this whole storyline frank has just knocked it out yes. of the park um absolutely it, i feel like this is probably the wrap-up of that that we're like okay we're kind of setting it aside now um and honestly i really appreciate i was kind of scrolling through comments and stuff on frank's Twitter and there was an ex-cop that said like as an ex-cop I'll be honest I was very angry and annoyed at the beginning and how this was looking but Mm -hmm. now that I've seen the wrap-up I I understand I always understood but I'm very excited that it did not take a completely anti-blue stance which I don't think they were ever going to do they were they were talking about the racism and the systemicness of that as the problem they were never going to as a cop show with cops yeah I was gonna say yeah No, that so makes people no in the sense. beginning were like they're anti-blue i'm like you know we're a cop drama right yeah, like right people are cops no they're not anti-blue by any means yeah um but they are taking the realistic approach um yes. and it was nice to see someone from that particular um job say look like i i loved how it was done it's mm-hmm. infuriating how it was had to happen but that's reality yeah um and so just absolute hats off to Frank and and the things that he has given us emotionally this season has just been off the yeah. charts. So glad that him and Danny both are getting 
um, kind of much more used and even Adresa, let, let's bring them in. Let's get Adresa yes. backstory episode. Come on now. Yeah, please. Let's start yeah. using them um, so much more. Mm-hmm. At 3526, um, so we have, Ainsley has gone to the Windsor School. Of course, she shouldn't be there. Shocker. <laughs> and she's <laughs> there. And we've, we've now learned that our sketchy Rachel assistant is the person that seems to be our suspect. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so Malcolm has found this hidden room that she has supposedly roofied Ainsley and Ainsley is unconscious and she's going to, you know, do what she has done to all the other victims. Um, and Malcolm is standing behind this wall and there is a split second moment where like his eyes turn. Like he looks down and he looks up through these slats toward her to see what is happening with his sister. And there was a, a good two seconds where I was like, oh, like I thought Malcolm was going to turn. Like you're oh. going after my sister. Ah. That's not how we're going to play. Cause he's looking at her, get the little debreather out, looking at this and that. And then he just does this look that I was like, oh snap. And then of course, like two seconds later, I was like, oh, okay, no, we're back to normal Malcolm. But the way that look delivered, I just went, Carol Malcolm, holy crap, here we go. Like, here it comes, here it comes. Right in this, let's He's do gonna it. break right through the wall, like, here's Jenny. Could oh, yeah. you just hold <laughs> on like the Kool-Aid guy? Like, yes, oh yeah. <laughs> I would have been for it, honestly. <laughs> My God, I love, don't get me wrong, I love Tom Payne to pieces, but he's so small. Could he go through a wall or would he just bounce backwards? Yes, he could. He learned all of the martial arts stuff for the Walking Dead. He could. Okay, I'll give you that. I, yeah. I was thinking like shoulder through a door, like what, oh, you, what those guys no. do. Um, yeah, I mean, he could probably do a backflip off of it because he's sure. That. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll give him that. credit for that. Absolutely. <laughs> At thirty-eight thirty-one, we have what may be the creepiest moment of this whole episode. Um, Ainsley's little eye open when you realize that she's awake. Like there was a, the music cue with that too, does that like bong, you know, like that really creepy and she's got some hair over her eyes and Halston is so good at this, just like lifeless. I'm about to take you down. Mm-hmm. I, I hope to God that she just sat in front of a mirror and scared herself to death while she was practicing for these things. Yeah. It's creepy. The look that she does. Um, and, you know, she gets up and it's so genius the way they set up the scene where Malcolm is talking to Ainsley, not to Rachel. Mm -hmm. They're like, you don't have to do this. There has to be another way. He's begging his sister not to kill a second person. Yeah. This has nothing. Go away, Rachel. We're not talking to you right now. Like exactly. Yeah. And I legitimately thought, like, okay, we're about to we're about to add another notch to the old kill post, you know, over here. Yeah. It was it was creepy and her performance like she does this thing there was a millisecond I rewatched it like way too many times to be normal but we all know I'm not normal so that's fine um there's a moment where he tells her like you don't have to do this you know whatever and she does like this little half grin twitch oh from behind like this little like yeah like as she and it was creepy to be that tiny little movement the way she did it like she was excited about what was about to happen Mm-hmm. because she's read her father's book now about when you see the blood it's like touching down in Oz and your yeah. world is full of color and it's like yeah. for a second she was like yeah this is gonna kick ass mm-hmm. and she was ready I was like Dip. yeah and see I also interpreted that that yes Malcolm was 
talking more to Ainsley than that Rachel. <laughs> but yeah, she was completely kind of blacked her out. The paperweight, yeah, she's not necessary. But Ainsley, and this is a, you know, huge props to Halston's acting too. Like you could tell Ainsley was not listening to any of it. She was just in this, she was like in a robot mode. Like I have one job and I'm going to do it. And she's holding a knife. She's so poised. Like she has been practicing to do this her entire life. And yeah, I felt the same way. Like she's gonna take this girl out. And now how are we going to cover this up? It's like, this girl can't. I, I yelled, I rarely yell at my TV because I try not to be like that, you know, old white dad who yells at the football game. (laughs) But I, my, my, SLP voice came out when she would we get the shot of her walking towards it with the knife in hand. I was like, Ainsley, like, don't like go to your room right now, yes, young like, lady. Go to your room. Do not do that. <laughs> oh, yeah. The whole fandom was like, ah. Yep, like, here we go. And there was this really cool symbolic moment where Rachel had told us before that like the Windsor School gets all of these girls' dolls that look like them and are supposed to model them. When um Rachel turns she ends up hitting Ainsley in the head with the gun and she's going to shoot and Malcolm kind of shoves her away the bullet goes through the heart of a doll that Mm -hmm. is I think it's Rachel like it looks like Rachel yeah um so that was kind of a really cool symbolic like her heart is broken she's not getting the love that her mother was giving her you know that perfect Rachel has been shot and it's gone and that was it's literally like a 0.2 seconds of of film that you see mm-hmm. it happen like that's where the bullet went yeah um, but again like the attention to detail from production that bullet could have gone into the wall yeah exactly oh, we could have not the, seen it Rachel doll yeah like it's yeah things that we didn't need to have that take it to a next level mm-hmm. absolutely yeah at 39:40, we see Sarah Windsor just straight up losing all of her cookies like she is um I'll be honest at first I was confused she's like okay ladies I'm like are there other people here and then I'm realizing no we're talking to pictures and stuff okay and then she's talking like Rachel this dirty girl I'm like did her daughter do something and then it clicked I was like oh no she's she's talking to herself yeah she's the dirty girl chastising herself for having the daughter and I just went this is gonna go well you Mm -hmm. know where where did this go but up you know yeah (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> up in flames <laughs> yeah so I'll be honest my one little critique from the episode was that I felt like and not even from a digital CGI standpoint just like the whole emulation <laughs> moment was a bit cheeseball <laughs> it was very <laughs> campy I felt like it would have been more um powerful to just have her drop it and then have an explosion yes yep. like because honestly it took me out of the moment and I kind of laughed yeah no I did too instead of being like oh like I was just like uh, you know <laughs> and that's not what you want um exactly but during that moment that is the main what Nathaniel Bloom calls like a set piece I learned that I did not know like the mm-hmm. the one piece of music that is written specifically for that episode that meets whatever the case is or whatever um that set piece that he talks about was it had like the chimes and the toy piano and all this as she's kind of talking to herself and you know she's about to blow and then it hits really hard with the chorus again and the angelic singing as she's you know being engulfed in flames and and everything like that so that was an amazing musical moment that kind of is the one thing that saved me visually from the rest of it 
I mean, they could have shown pictures of like the school, like all the old pictures of like the class. They just could have, I don't know, kept focusing on Malcolm and Ainsley watching the place burn down. They're, they could have done a lot of different. I mean, whatever, it's something new. You got some yeah. extra budget laying around. So, okay, we'll, we'll throw mm -hmm. some CGI flames in here. It's all good in the hood. Yeah. Um, not my favorite scene ever. The music was great. Um, you know, Kate Burton was great in the role. I appreciated her. Um, just, yeah, whatever. I'm not going to yeah. agree with everything, but it's all good. <laughs> yeah. At 4106, we find out that the reason that Ainsley did not get roofied and had not actually drank the tea is because she had special nail polish that could mm -hmm. detect that. And I got really excited because my first year of teaching at the high school I teach at was 2013, 2014. And my students did informative speeches. They had to teach me about something. And at that point, um, this had just come out in 2014. It had hit the press that these four guys at um, NC State University had created this insanely awesome nail polish that women could wear or men, you know, whoever, and could detect um, if something, and it would change color. And it originally went from red to black. Like that was like, if yes. your nail polish goes black, that is the, hey, you should absolutely mm -hmm. not touch this drink. Um, and now, I mean, you know, six years later, there are multiple different brands like that patent had been sold and there are literally brands of nail polish made for ladies and they'll change, you know, from purple to teal. I mean, you have thousands of options for what it would change to. Um, and it's just such a neat diet. I'm not the most science brained person. I love learning about things like that. Um, but for me, I'm like, you know, it's sometimes technology comes up with some really cool stuff. Yes. Yeah. And how amazing is it that like these, you know, girls in college or people that are out kind of on a club scene where it can be potentially scary and dangerous. And all you have to do is just stick your finger in there and be like, mm, yeah, like, sir. <laughs> <laughs> literally. No, honestly, I thank you very much. Yeah. No, that it's funny that you mentioned that was like in 2013, 2014, because I remember that. And that was when I went off to college. And that was that learning was about that made me feel a lot safer knowing that I could. And I think this was right around the same time that that whole, you know, the angel cocktail yeah. thing had gone around. I think that was kind of a similar time where, um, you know, you can order that from a bartender and that's code for I'm in a scary situation. I yes. need someone to walk me out to a car to call me a cab mm -hmm. and get me out of here. Yeah. Um, and so it's just really cool that those kind of get out free without any kind of scare um exactly. and to be safe those things that exist and that's really yeah. neat. Mm -hmm. at 4111 which is right after the moment with the nail polish malcolm and ainsley are still talking and i mean she's she's still absolutely just competitive about it yeah she's, oh so i i guess this means i kind of won like no boo no let go there's let go there's an exploded debutante school there's all sorts of things that have gone on like it so and i love it because i love that they track that competitiveness competitiveness literally from beginning to end like it's mm -hmm. it's a thing um but it is not just sibling rivalry it's no. like a whole different level of not understanding the appropriateness and not having the empathy and i love that they give us a lot of tom reaction shots Yes. To what she's doing these things. So we know Malcolm is tracking it. Malcolm is like, this is getting sketchy. Yes. Not that there aren't sketchy things already going on with him and mm -hmm. Ainsley, but he's realizing that she's changing. Yeah. Because of these events and mm -hmm. that it's going to be a problem, which I think will come to a head um, in our next episode, maybe. At 4230, we have Jess going back to visit Martin, which that sentence alone just makes me <laughs> angry. 
I, I just saw it like fall out of your mouth, like crumbling cake. Like, and I'll be honest, like she plays right into his hands in this moment. She comes to him and she asks, can we just go back to the old days and pretend and you can be their dad? He, in his brain, it is. Yes, he's like. And trumpet playing. Uh... And... Yeah, thank you very much. Yes, like, it's yes. just, I, yes, let's mm-hmm. go back, baby. Like, this mm-hmm. is what he wants. Yes. He wants you to beg for him to help you. He wants to feel needed and the most important thing in the room. And Jess, you are just handing him every card he needs you know like you have to stop and mm-hmm. he gets to deliver this grandiose there's nothing i wouldn't do for my family oh. <laughs> except for destroy them completely yeah, exactly <laughs> take god some help Whitley's. god help them i tell you it's getting i mean i love it because the drama of it and the lump of it and the fact that it makes for amazing television but good grief yeah like thanks go f yourself we literally leave the episode with him like puffed chest i'll be the savior honey like and it's just oh yikes yep and i would have left with a pretty nasty taste in my mouth had we not got that promo right afterwards okay i'm just gonna do a disclaimer right now i wrote this in my notes but i'm gonna do this disclaimer if you are not a fan of Brightwell, that's cool. We still love you. It's all good. No yeah. hate. Mm-hmm. But now is probably going to be the time for you to exit this <laughs> edition of CSA. Bye-bye, Thank guys. For Thanks for that. listening. Have a great evening. Go watch that Nathaniel Bloom interview if you have not. Because um, in about four seconds, I'm about to flip a script and you're not yep. going to like me very much. <laughs> so, you gone? Brightwell. We're all here. You still here? It's over. Go home. Oh. <laughs> oh. Okay, I want to talk about the non-couch related things first. Okay. Okay. Because they're not going to take as long. So, no. <laughs> first of all, my tiny tiniest of all tiny complaints he fell down an elevator shaft and is laying absolutely straight on the ground like he's asleep in bed. But the blood behind his head saved it. I give yeah. him credit for that. Like they gave me my womp, which I'm almost equally excited about. And I know for some of my friends, dear God, calm down. I am almost equally excited about that. Um, <laughs> there's a lot of little cues. Um, and we just saw before we filmed this, like a Canadian um, uh, promo that had a little bit of different stuff where you have martin telling jt i think my son's having a psychotic break and malcolm knows he's in his own head basically yeah mm-hmm. he says like this is all in my head so um he's recognizing that none of this is reality while he's going through it which i, yeah. I love that version of i love that he realizes what is going on yeah. as he's having these hallucinations that yeah. makes it so much better for me mm-hmm. um and then we have at the end this supposed you know twist that you will blow your mind or whatever, you know, the phrase was that I think is where Nathaniel Bloom's comment about having like an Ainsley theme and all that. I, I really do think Ainsley is going to learn or remember yeah. by this episode at some point. Um, and then we have the moment that no one has stopped talking about <laughs> since then. Guys, we got a Brightwell kiss. And I completely understand 
that this is not reality. Yeah. I'm okay with this. Yeah. I don't, I'm not there. Yeah, I think so much to dissect. I can't go. Please go ahead. No, no. I just, I mean, we saw it happen and the the discord turned into one word repeated over and over again which was zoom 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 right now and then all of us just signing on and expletives like expletives everybody get on zoom the sound canceled itself out because we were all screaming which i thought was the one of the best moments i've had on this god-awful zoom app since the (laughs) it was just i mean Oh, and, and of course I'm loving now that in that Canadian promo it shows him like in the original promo that we saw in America yes. it was very much like Danny kind of is loving she's like draped across him on the couch so it's yes. kind of intimate like they're apparently in this hallucination they are together like mm-hmm. obviously you're not sitting pantsless over someone's legs without being <laughs> a little bit comfortable um and she kisses him and we all just kind of collectively lost our crap Yep. But then in this promo from Canada, though, it shows a little bit before mm-hmm. when she's just starting to drape her legs across him and Malcolm is shocked. Yeah. When she yeah. does that, he's like, what? Okay. Like, so it is, it's him knowing this is not something that happens. Like what? Mm-hmm. But then of course he still goes in for the kiss and is like, you know, let's, let's go ahead and see how this goes. Exactly. No, I, I was literally just about to say that i'm so glad that our our brains were like yes let us talk about what happened before to which i'm sure that some people might say oh well clearly he doesn't actually think about her this way to which i would say lately i have been having lots of dreams about like a horse girl about having my own horse and suddenly a horse appears in my dream and I'm like I don't own one of these and it's like in my backyard or somewhere I'm just like oh this horse is mine now and I'm like kind of freaked out because I'm like thinking I, I lucid dream a lot and I'm like this is not my horse I can't ride but I'm not gonna say no so it's a horse <laughs> the exact way, he's the exact same way he's like the, Danny and I aren't together normally she's not like but who am I to say no like hello legs what yeah. are you doing like, yeah it's fine <laughs> Um, but I love that because now um, kind of a lot of the fandom speculation then is not, is this real? Like even all of us diehard bright was like, we know this is yeah. not mm-hmm. real life in this moment, but the best part for me, and again, I'm a little bit, you know, masochistic, I guess. Um, like I love like the angst that's going to follow this inevitably, yes. whether mm-hmm. he tells her what he dreamed which I'm assuming probably is not the first step or he's just going to be looking at her in a completely different or awakened light now (laughs) that is going to be like these little side glances of like yeah you know like I better go back to what I was doing and Mm -hmm. and I live for slow burns and not like 10 episodes slow burns like four season slow burns because then that payoff is just like yes um I would love to get four seasons for this to slow burn. <laughs> You're the one that changed their clothes, Fox. Just throwing it up there, Fox. Love you. Um, <laughs> but like, so I'm I'm here for, you know, let's just, what's wrong with you? Why aren't you talking to me? And then he eventually has to tell her, so here's the thing. Yeah, I, I had a dream about you and like, I don't pay much mind to dreams, but also I do actually pay quite a bit of mind to my dreams as we 
know about him from like all of season one. Yeah. So like if anyone, if there is anyone who is going to overanalyze a dream in which, I mean, we had a dream with Eve that he could not stop thinking about for a very negative reason. Mm-hmm. And now he's going to have something with Danny for a very positive reason. I, I just, and I can't. It's going to cause negative in terms of his focus and him being able to, I love it. Yeah. I, I just, I can't, I can't. I would also be remiss if I did not bring up Teen Wolf Gil. Oh my, and excuse all, me. I'm here for it. For It's cheese ball. I'm here for it. I am here <laughs> for it all day long. I cannot wait to watch Lou Diamond Phillips channel his best Michael Sheen impression. Yeah, yes. I cannot wait for it. I am excited to watch Jess be this hippie kombucha mocktail chick. Uh, the the kombucha the reference, I was like, oh, hair, I'm very excited. Like the red wavy beach hair and all that stuff. I am. And I love that we deliberately have not seen, we have seen everyone else, but I think Ainsley in a yeah. dream situation. Because mm-hmm. it's the Canadian um, virgin, when uh, Martin tells JT that he thinks his son is having a psychotic break, it is in a dream. Because yes. he's got the long hair. Like he looked, so we've seen JT even in a dream, but we have not seen Ainsley. Yeah. So is she going to even show up? Is it mm-hmm. going to be like this big dramatic, you have to tell me, or I, I, I'm interested in why that was deliberately kept quiet. Um, yeah. Which also makes me think, you know, if this, if the whole idea of this is the way that Malcolm, even if it's like the way that Malcolm thinks about everybody flipped you know, whatever, however it is, right. part of me still believes that he wants to think that his little sister is innocent and is not a horrible person. So, so maybe part- we're going to get like equestrian Ains and you can see her heading off to her little private riding. <laughs> oh uh, my God, we'll be fine. We have a horse in this. Have a God. moment. Yeah. No. <laughs> but part of me wonders is if, you know, in this alternate reality, Ainsley is, you know, a serial killer or is well, because we have flipped Martin. So maybe Martin yes. is the perfect dad. And now Ainsley is, you know, sketchy McSketchville. Yeah. I mean, obviously we have Gil locked up behind bars and stuff. And so then we want to figure out what happened there. But I don't know. Part of me thinks that there is a reason why we haven't seen her yet. And it's not Positive. good. Yes, at all. Or who knows? Honestly, I have no idea what they're planning to do with this. And I want to just let them go with it. Again, I like. Wait. I can't wait let the writers do their thing. I'm not, I'm not upset by any of this at all. Yeah. Go with it. It's entertaining as hell and I'm here for it. Yes. And I, I cannot I'm not excited though, that whenever this episode's over, we have a one week hiatus. Yeah. I was originally concerned that Malcolm's condition was going to be the like cliffhanger. Yeah. Um, but I think it's going to be Ainsley based. I think it's going to yeah. be Ainsley finds out and then we cut off and we have a whole other week mm-hmm. off to wait. That's my guess. Pure speculation. I don't have a clue. I, so. I, my guess is she finds out and remembers this and she tells somebody. That's going to be my, my guess. Is Can she, you imagine she just walks up to Gil. We need to talk. Credit. <laughs> yeah. No, that's. That, that's going to be my guess. It might be totally wrong. That's going to be my guess. Is she went and told sweet. somebody. There we go. Put it out there. 
it's you know what i mean here's the thing they're so good at plot twists we have to put the craziest stuff possible yeah no we do yeah because they're you know like one of the things we're joking about is the big plot twist is going to be that the the brightwell kiss is reality (laughs) and it's not in someone's head which honestly i really hope that's not it but that i mean talk about plot twist that would be like the epic plot twist to have i would be very happy it's not gonna happen but i'd be so yeah. happy <laughs> i hope it doesn't because i want to see if they're gonna play them together, i know i want to yeah. see what happen mm-hmm. i want to see the moment where they like we're gonna do this yeah uh, but i'm just i i can't wait like honestly i don't i can't remember the last time i was so hyped at like a 25 seconds. a trailer. Yeah. 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 We had like an hour and a half long discussion of just ah, over. Yeah, literally. Just like empty speech. Just like. Bah! Expletives, key smashing, just people staring into the Zoom screen. Yeah, like, exactly. Bah! Just being like. Ah! It was wonderful. <laughs> All right. So that wraps up 205, guys. Let us know what you think. Are you team Brightwell? Are you team I don't think it's going to happen? Are you team. Can't wait for Catherine Zeta-Jones and Alan Cumming because I'm on that team as well. Yep. Team hiatus is suck. Yes. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. We also need to be team. Let's get this renewed. Yes, please, guys. As you are tweeting, please continue when you tweet to add that renew prodigal son hashtag. Mm-hmm. It has happened. Grassroots fan movements have gotten things renewed when the numbers maybe would not have been um, a, a company's go to so we need to do that we need to be the force for this cast and crew and the effort that they're putting in we need to show them that we are going to put forth that for them so anytime you're tweeting throw it on there yeah and every single one throw it on there every time we need to trend yeah everything that you do makes a difference i i know that some people might think because i don't have cable or because i can't watch it live you still can do something you know that's everybody has this power use it you don't have to be a nielsen family to get it renewed like that's yes. i know that that's like everyone's well it doesn't matter if you're not a Nielsen. like that's yes that is a component but that is not the only component if we yeah. can get stuff going and make a stand a little bit and have fox mm-hmm. notice it can help it really exactly can. If anything, or at the end of the day, it can make the difference between getting completely canceled or getting picked up by a streaming service. Yes. Which, which is fine. I mean, come on, at the end of the day, we just want our show. So mm-hmm. do what you can do. Hopefully Fox, you know, renews and, and we keep going in the way that we've been going. And if not, maybe we can push for something else to keep, yeah. to keep everything going. So mm-hmm. renew prodigal son, keep it up. Let us know what you thought about the episode. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen. Um, and we'll see you next time. See you then. Bye. Bye.